Good morning, everybody. It is great to be back in worship with you here at the MAG. I haven't been here in a couple of weeks. In fact, last week I was in Kansas City for worship, but I was away for a whole week. It's kind of fun being away for a whole week. But the first part of that week I was in New Orleans because I serve on a national disaster response team for the national church, and we had our meeting in New Orleans. Now, I had never been to New Orleans, so, you know, you might have, if you've ever been there, you might have seen Bourbon Street, a barely legal club. You have to eat your beignets and free coffee, yum, yep. Mm -hmm. My most creative thing, though, was to see this. This was a dog in the casket, dressed with a suit on, and it says, need money for proper burial. (laughs) The dog was alive. The dog was just fine. And if you would rub him just right, he might open his eyes and look at you, but he closed his eyes. It was a dollar if you get it, your picture made it. That was quite fun. The first night there, though, out from our hotel, there was a, well, this was going by. You can do the next one. A wedding party at about 1030 at night, complete with people gathering in. A parade was going by, and then a band. Now, I took a great little video clip of the music on my phone. However, I didn't take it long enough, so Nathan, I was going to play it for you in here, but it was too short, and Nathan said it was confusing. But you can just imagine, it was wonderful. It was a festive parade. That reminded me of this day. It's a festive parade. It is Palm Sunday. It is the time when Jesus is entering Jerusalem, and he is for the triumphal entry. He knows what's coming, but this day we are celebrating. We are coming to worship today expecting to join in the crowd and wave our palm branches and sing hosannas. Now, I don't know about you, but whenever I think of Holy Week and I think of Palm Sunday, I can just imagine, just like I did as a child, I could imagine Jesus coming right down here on a donkey, and I could imagine all of y'all, all of us, waving our palm branches. But as I've grown, I was going to say older as I've aged, if I've, if I've become more mature, I realize that we need to look at each of the gospel stories, not just one at a time, to really understand the fullness of what was happening that week. For instance, John's gospel is the only one who mentions palm branches. The others like when we read, leafy branches from their yard. Or Luke is much more subdued and not very crowded and noisy in his description. But Matthew, Matthew's the one that lifts up the reference to the Old Testament, Zechariah. Rejoice greatly, O daughter Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter Jerusalem. For lo, your king comes to you, triumphant and victorious is he, humble and riding on a donkey. On a colt, the foal of a donkey. When the people heard that that day, they knew that Jesus was finally making his statement that he is the one. He's the Messiah. He's the king. And as we are thinking about all this, I realize that a lot of people there that day were hoping that he was going to be a political king. He was going to be the one to put Rome in their place. And as I think about The whole thing, I I think we cannot come away from it without realizing that it was a political statement that's being made here this day. Now, I know pastors don't say politics.
politics in church. Don't say the word political. But I can't help but you can't look at Jesus' life and death without thinking about it being involved in politics. For instance, um, there there were other um, processions going into town that day. So Jesus is coming, riding on a donkey. He is coming from the He's coming from the east, but from the north, there was a Roman procession, uh, the focal point being Pontius Pilate, and he's the governor of the area. And he is coming in because this is the beginning of Passover. And why are they having to have this military entourage come in? Because the Jewish population would quadruple in size this week, from about 50,000 to over 200,000. So they came in on horses, brandishing weapons, and making sure that the oppressed did not get their redemption that day. They were scared, and so they were coming in to show their power. Similarly, another source, if you read Adam Hamilton, he says that there are three processions. There's another procession coming in uh, from the west, and that is King Herod Antipas. King Herod is the one who took off John the Baptist's head. So he knew a lot about violence as well. So he is coming in for the same reasons, like Pilate, to suppress the people. Quite a contrast from Jesus coming in on a simple donkey. Why a donkey? Some say that the donkey is the animal that princes rode when they would enter a new city, and it was a statement that they were coming with peaceful intentions. So Jesus was coming in peace, not to conquer, but rather to teach the ways of peace. There were no soldiers, only people there laying their cloaks on the ground and branches of leaves for him to ride over. The one who was coming in the name of the Lord, quietly but profoundly, proclaimed a different message. He came and proclaimed the peaceful reign of God. In Hamilton's book, if you've been reading along this week, he quotes the Psalm Salsa, nice name, a modern-day Palestinian artisan historian, and he said, Jesus' parade was the first nonviolent demonstration in history. This demonstration was for a king and a kingdom built upon a radical desire to love God and a commitment to love one's enemies. In our text that we read, um, it said that blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, but it's Luke that that more subdued version of the gospel story that he says blessed is the king who comes so indeed a political statement it's also a political question that Pilate's going to ask Jesus later in the week are you king of the Jews do you lay claim to this political power this political title that will threaten the sovereignty of Rome in other words are you are you you know coming to take my role And what about the way Jesus is put to death later this week? Crucifixion. That was a political instrument of punishment administered by political leaders whose authority was in Rome. Jesus died as a result of a decision rendered in this political process, the order of death issuing from a political leader. And finally, the only real charge ever brought against Jesus was a political charge inscribed on his cross. King of the Jews, political ruler of the Jews. 
so in my mind, we can't separate his life or death away from politics. And that day, that day that Jesus came in riding humbly on a donkey, that day, people were hoping, hoping that he was going to rally the troops and have a call to arms and put Rome in rebellion. But that's not what he did. He said, I've come about to bring the kingdom of God, the reign of God. And now can't you hear those people? Come on, Jesus. You've talked enough about the kingdom of God. Now let's do something. Let's take him down. But he didn't show force. He knew exactly what he was doing. He knew exactly what was going to happen in the next few days. He knew that he was on the road to the cross, to humiliation, to betrayal, to death. But he did it with dignity, out of love, love for you, love for me, love for us. Many missed the point that day. And I think many of us miss the point even today. We want to proceed right on through this week rapidly, like like skip over from Palm Sunday to Easter. We don't like that mess and unpleasantness of Holy Week. It's pretty gruesome if you stop and think about it. In fact, many Protestant churches have changed from calling it Palm Sunday to now we call it Palm Passion Sunday. And that's why the title of this sermon is The Way to the Cross. Because we do, many of us, go from one celebration of Palm Sunday to one celebration of Easter and miss the powerful stuff that happens in this week. And so we are encouraged today even to think a bit about the triumphal entry of Jesus to Jerusalem, but a little more than that, in case you don't get to come out Thursday or Friday. So that when we get to next Sunday, Easter, we all know that a price has been paid for you. Uh, Barbara uh, Ann Lamont, in her book, Plan B, Further Thoughts on Faith, she said, you know, I just don't have the right personality for things like this and for crucifixion. I just like to skip ahead to resurrection, to that resurrection vision of the child who drew the picture in Sunday school of the empty tomb and the Easter bunny. New life and a back box of chocos. I mean, what could be better than that? And I think that's true for us, too. We would like those things. We don't like uncomfortable, unpleasant things. Wouldn't we all just like to skip ahead? Wouldn't we all like to just, you know, keep that Holy Week stuff out there away from us so that it doesn't touch us? Sometimes I've wondered, as Anne Lamont has wondered, couldn't we overlook those sleepy disciples who were unable to stay awake with him in the Garden of Gethsemane? Couldn't we just skip the betrayal with the kiss from one of his closest friends? Couldn't we close our eyes to the sound of soldiers' boots as they are coming to arrest him and pass on by that trial to skip? And couldn't we ignore the rooster crowing and Peter's denial? Couldn't we find something more pleasant to talk about than Jesus carrying his own cross through the midst of an angry crowd? Couldn't we simply take a detour around the crucifixion and death? Well, it's a lot easier to do that. We could go from excitement of Palm Sunday to excitement of Easter. But we can't do it because we've got to get there. We know that price has been paid. It's a powerful story. And it's a story for you. As I've been thinking this week about the thrill of Palm Sunday, 
and the depths of hell that we are asked to walk through with Jesus this week. I started thinking about many of us in this church who feel like they are in the depths of hell even now. Bad things, difficult, uncomfortable things have happened to us. Things we didn't choose but we're having to live with. Or perhaps some things we did choose and now we are having to live with the results of our actions. Some of us feel like we can't get a break, like we're just holding on by the end of our rope. And I want to say to you, hold on. Easter is coming. Sunday is coming. As I began more to think about this week, I thought about my recent visit over to New Orleans and the hell that people feel like there that they have been living through for eight and a half years. You may recall that Hurricane Katrina was the largest and third strongest hurricane ever recorded to make landfall in the U.S. The levees in New Orleans were to hold up in a Category 3 storm, but this was a Category 5. So that's what it looked like. Over 80% of the city of New Orleans was underwater. Some 1,800 people died. There were foreclosures and lots of blight. This is blight. So the houses have been removed, but people don't have the resources to, to rebuild. And right now, if you have a piece of property and you can't build on it, if the um, grass gets up 18 inches today, the city of New Orleans will fine you $500 every day until you get your grass back. So before long, people are unable the fine's so high they're unable to keep it so they're losing their houses and so there is a lot of blight in neighborhoods and that's such a sad thing um but it was not all sad because we even though we felt like greed was drowning out love we saw glimpses of heaven we saw glimpses of god's goodness we saw some homes being rebuilt there's one there were several pictures that didn't quite make it in but that one, some homes are being rebuilt, and they are as happy. Um, we met some people from a neighborhood association, and she talked about, you know, our community garden, and it's for everybody in the neighborhood can get from the community garden, get citrus. She talked about this older, the women, and they don't want them to be, be scared in the neighborhoods, even though, like, only a third of the people, are, you know, a third of the community is back. But they do a walk at night, three miles, because we want our elderly to, to be fit. That was great. It was a vision of the community. But my favorite story was meeting a man named Mac McClendon. Mac is the director of the Village Community Center. It um, is a place that, you know, there's a skateboard ramp inside. It was a place that people could come and gather as community to share hopes and dreams and to get answers. And the community used it, and, and friends worked together on it. It was exciting to be there. But at first, he said, when we first built the community center, we were so overwhelmed and depressed, it was nothing but death. But then he told us this story about Brad Pitt coming to town. You may have heard Make It Right Foundation. Yeah, and he did a lot of homes. He put a lot of money in the community, and that was awesome. And after he left, he donated. I don't know how they got it. Max says, I don't know how we got it. We got all this paraphernalia, all these souvenirs from the movie Benjamin Button. Who knew? Benjamin Button. Yeah. They got all kinds of stuff. One thing they got, though, was a coffin. Max said, a coffin? What are we going to do with a coffin? We have had enough coffins, you know. 
So he held on to it and held on to it. But finally, he had an idea. And he said we were at a particularly low point in our community story. And I decided what to do with that coffin. I rented a band, just like you would find on Bourbon Street. We enlisted a band. And we carried that coffin to the cemetery. People followed along. People gathered in and joined us in the procession. We got there, and there were about 300 people by the time we got there. And then Max said to them, Friends, you are so much more than victims. Our community is returning. We are rebuilding. But it takes all of us. It takes the little bit you're doing and the big bit you're doing, and it takes all of us. And we've got to continue helping each other. And then he passed out some little pieces of paper, which you have found on your pews today, on your chairs. And he said, I want to ask you to do something. Write down on that piece of paper what it is that you are ready to let go of so that God can take you into the future that God has in store for you. He said it was the most amazing thing. People wrote down stories. People wrote down things, and they placed it in the coffin. We closed the coffin, and we buried the coffin. He said, we buried Katrina that night. I was really touched by that story, because sometimes I think we, too, need to remember that the bigger picture, that, yes, we live in the Good Friday world, but Sunday is coming. Hope and love, forgiveness and new life, through the grace of God and the love of Jesus Christ. We too need to let go of that stuff that's holding us back from moving into that future that God has especially for you. We need to reach out to neighbor, offering a helping hand of love and support. We also need to be willing to receive the hand of love and support that is offered to us. And sometimes that's the hardest of things. So what are you ready to let go of? So that you can move into that new place, that future that God is calling you to, calling you toward. When Melissa and the band sing the next song during the offering, I would invite you to think about that and write something of it. And then during communion, after you have been nourished from the King of Kings and the banquet that he offers to us, I would invite you, there's a basket there, and as you walk by, to just place it in the basket. We will pray over these, and we will bury them. And let go of those, the things that you need to let go of. What is holding you back from giving your all to God, or at least giving the next Today is Palm Sunday, the beginning of Holy Week. I invite you to get out of your own story a little bit and get into the Jesus story. Take some time to reflect on the whole story as Christ enters Jerusalem on his way to the cross, offering us, all of us, an alternative way to live, an invitation to be an inclusive community of compassion and companionship, where servants and not swordsmen have the power. And that is the power of Jesus. Would you pray with me?